Okay, here we go. Here we go. I am so glad. I am so glad that you're here for the launch of this series that I am terrifically excited about. It's called Intelligent Faith, Deep Thinkers Following Jesus Christ. Okay? And here is just a glimpse of the wonder that awaits you in the coming weeks. Week one, you're here for it. How can we love God with all our mind? Week two, is it God versus science or God and science? Stick around, it gets better. Number three, aren't all religions basically the same? Number four, would a loving God send anyone to hell? And week five, is the Bible reliable? Now, I am going to ask, I'm going to challenge you to commit to being here each of these five weeks. If you absolutely can't, then get the podcast. It's usually up there by noon on Sunday. Look, this time is going to pass anyway. The question is, are you at the end going to be just like you are now or exponentially better? That's what's on the table, and I'm hoping you're going to take us up on it. Now, uh, before we go into uh, loving God with all our minds, I need help. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, I need you to stand in my body, to use my mind and my voice and your word to, to reach us. Lord, reveal yourself to us. Lord, teach us. Lord, heal us. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts to you. And we want to love you and glorify you and, and just see you be big in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're talking about intelligent faith. My faith this is coming to come as a shock to no one. My faith was not always intelligent. In fact, I thought as a child that I knew God's first name and I believed it was Harold, right? Because every week we would say this at church, our Father who art in heaven, Harold be your name. Apparently, I got it wrong. It wasn't Harold. It was Art. Okay, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, you could take that down. <laughs> My faith wasn't always intelligent. We're talking about intelligent faith. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this series is for you. Because you, like I and many of us, may know more about what you believe than why you believe it. And this series is going to address that. And if you're a skeptic, if you have more questions than answers about faith, this, this series is going to be perfect for you because that's exactly what we're talking about is the reasons to believe. So this is going to be for you either way. I think you're going to love this series. And, and today we're going to talk about how we love God with all our mind. Jesus himself said that part of the greatest commandment of God was this. Take a look. You shall love the Lord your God, he said, with all your mind. Did, did, did you see that? That's a little strange. It's a little strange. Did you see what Jesus did? Right? Loving, loving is something that happens in our hearts. But he's talking about our minds. He's talking about our minds. See that? Love is what happens in your heart. Yet Jesus is talking about our mind. He's saying there needs to be a connection between your mind and your heart so that you can love and enjoy God with your every thought, with your every intelligence, with your every imagination. So 
How do we do that? How do we love God with all our minds? Certainly not by throwing our brains in the trash, right? To follow Jesus. And the good news is you don't have to. In fact, you shouldn't. In fact, he's begging you not to throw your brains in the trash to follow him. Quite the opposite. You see, Christianity is built not on blind faith, but on a, it is a faith built on verifiable fact. Verifiable fact. Historical, scientific, logical, researchable, experiential, experimental faith based on fact. And this series is all about checking out the facts. And let's be honest. Let's just be honest. All the facts are not really pretty. They're not really pretty. I mean, the fact of our history, throughout history, some wrong thinking and boneheaded Christians did horrible things, including things called the Inquisition, the witch hunts, the, the crusades, and producing the television series Touched by an Angel. Inexcusable, some of these things. I'm, I'm joking about not, but not the others. In addition, some losers in the South used and twisted Scripture for uh, promoting and advancing racial prejudice, abuse, and segregation. And today, today, there are modern-day sex scandals in both Protestant and Catholic churches. This is all inexcusable evil, okay? And Christians who have nothing to do still need to walk in humility and repentance for those of us and, and, and for the ways that we have been really bad representatives of the God that we claim lives inside of us, right? That's the truth. That's the truth. We don't want to discredit Jesus and the gospel. And maybe it's because we have in the past that Gandhi said this. He said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And in many cases, he's right. Many of us have not been the kind of reflection that Jesus demands and deserves. If we truly let him speak through us and love through us and relate through us and work through us and have compassion through us. A lot of that's right, especially when we hate and condemn and we think we're better than people who sin differently than we do, or we think we've been enlisted at the God police and our job is to bust people who are riding dirty, right? That's, that's what, right? We're the ones who are busted with that. So, so all the facts are not squeaky clean. However, but... And this is a big old but. If that is all that you've heard, if that is all that has been shared with you about Christian history and the impact of Christians on society, then that is misleading at best and inaccurate lies at worst. Deep thinking and deeply faithful and courageous Christians have reversed the curse on this planet in remarkable ways. In the early 1800s, a Christian British man named William Wilberforce ended the slave trade in the British Empire. And the greatest champion of modern-day civil rights was passionate, unapologetic Christian 
Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And he emphasized to the, the white bigots, not less faith, but more genuine faith that reflected the love and respect and compassion of the God that they claimed to follow. And we're not done yet, but you need to know that Christians through the ages have done much good in the world. The founding, in fact, of many of the hospitals and the spread of the hospital movement is largely based, in this country at least, on, on the compassion of Christians. And I'm, I'm grateful because I spend a lot of time in hospitals. Yes, I do, as a patient. So I'm grateful for that. However, Christians are not responsible for inventing hospital food. <laughs> right. No, no, that, that was done by Satan, I believe. I, I, I have to check my notes, but I believe, I believe that to be true. Some people mistakenly think that, that Christianity is anti-intellectual. It is anti-intelligence. So not true. So not true. Christianity is all about intelligence and knowledge. In fact, the concept of the modern university is started with Christians believing that we should study everything, everything from science to literature to art to music, to medicine, to history, to engineering, to architecture, in law. Everything. Why? Because all truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. Pastor John Piper put it this way. All truth exists, regardless of where it comes from, to display more of God and awaken more love for God. That's what all truth is God's truth means all truth is God's truth and all true knowledge and intelligence points to him but don't take my word for it I have a dear friend who is one of the smartest people I know he's a doctor and the more he learns the more faith he has we're blessed that he and his wife Jessica and their girls are part of the Bethany family please welcome Dr. David Robbins This is a big crowd today, huh? <laughs> so, um, thanks, Tom, for having me up. And uh, it's red. Oh, we got it. And uh, you know, I just want to say I'm humbled that I would uh, consider me an intelligent expert. I come uh, before you, and uh, just want to say that I expert in just maybe one one area, the eye, and that's why it's going to be easy for me to talk about just the eye today. But uh, Tom asked me to come up and talk maybe three, four minutes about the eye, and we should have an eye up here. Great. And in the human eye and just the complexity and how it deepens my faith every day. Um, the first thing I thought when he asked if I'd come up and talk three or four minutes, if you guys know me at all, I'm not going to be able to talk for three to four minutes. It's definitely going over that, so I apologize. <laughs> we'll get you there. Um, the second thing is um, this is a tall task because, I mean, uh, people who have been proponents of creation have long used the eye as... Um, you know, a champion for design, um, just purely the complexity speaks as creation, and people much more intelligent than me have used this as an example and dive pretty deep in it. Um, what's kind of curious is uh, the theory, of course, from a proponent that has faith it would say this, this visual system is so complex, light comes into the eye, 
And light has to change from basically uh, frequency to an impulse to our brain and have vision. And just the pure complexity of not only the eye, but the visual system has to just speak for, you know, the uh, creation. And, and this couldn't just happen through random chance that we could have such an uh, acute and high-definition system. What's changed again more recently, uh, evolutionary biology has kind of taken the eye, uh, 80s and 90s, and kind of flipped the script and said, hey, this is our champion for evolution, which is kind of fascinating. The theory behind this is that the eye, the human eye, excuse me, the mammal vertebrate eye, is actually wired backwards. So our retinal cells are a little backwards, and I'll do a little professor spiel in a second here, but um, the fact being that because this human eye is inverted, the retina, our neural cells are inverted, um, that basically a creator or a engineer, a human engineer, wouldn't have designed it like how it is. So therefore, it must have been random chance, and, and through evolution, it's kind of imperfect. And what's interesting is the, this guy made a lot on the secular circuit about the human eye in the 90s and YouTube videos about, uh, and, his, and his quote is, uh, it would offend, the setup of a human eye would offend a tidy-minded engineer. That's his quote. So basically saying that, you know, this setup would offend a human engineer the way it's set up. Um, simply put, if there was a creator, he wasn't smart. This is not how you would set it up. And I think that's really fascinating, almost a desperate statement in a way, uh, when we look at the eye. Um, and if you're not a believer and you're just a vision scientist, you would think that's absurd. Um, and we're going to, I want to go over that a little bit. That's why I'm going to go over I get on my nerd uh, standpoint. But this side rant there is just the human pride to think we could do better, which, by the way, we can't. We have no camera or anything that has the resolution in real time of a human eye. But just the human pride to think, uh, you, I, this scientist, we weren't there when God created it, so I guess he really could have created it any way he wanted to. Um, but that's not, that's just logic. Now, looking at the science of the eye, what's curious is they'll use the cephalopod eye as the ultimate uh, setup for an eye, like how a human engineer would design it. And what a cephalopod eye is like a squid or an octopus. And basically what's different between these two setups, eye, setup of the eye, the squid eye, light comes in, and a photocell absorbs light, and it faces the light. So light comes in, you have a cell that absorbs it, and it's facing to the light. Well, a human eye is actually the opposite, and actually Arguably, every eye that sees us good or better than us, like an eagle, is the same way we are. It's inverted. So when light comes into our eye, the retina, which is this back tissue, the yellow in this diagram, our photocells are facing inwards. So they're not actually facing incoming light, which at first glance looks really silly. Why, why would that be the case? An engineer would go, no, we'll have the photocell absorb light coming in. Hope I don't lose you guys. I'll, I'll wrap it up. But So light's coming in. And, and because it's inverted, what, it creates a problem. So if light comes in and the photocell is not facing it, everything we see is then inverted or upside down. So we actually have extra circuitry and wiring to make everything right side up so we don't see the world upside down, um, which, again, is quite fascinating. But when we look at the human eye, we think, well, let's just be you know, objective. Why, why if, it's, if it was created, would it be created facing inwards or away from the light? You can see behind the retina, there's this tissue called the choroid, that red tissue. There's also a layer in between there. This model's not quite detailed enough, but it's the RPE. So these two layers, they nourish these photocells, and they also get rid of waste, which is really curious. So 
what happens with our cells is we basically can have higher resolution because they're facing backwards. I know that sounds weird, but this uh, choroid is its nourishment, its blood supply. It lets these photocells, they have to regenerate. It's the most highly metabolic part of our body, and it's to constantly fire for us to see high resolution. So a squid eye, a cephalopod, which is, of course, the best eye according to evolution, can only see mo motion in light and dark. It doesn't see color like we see. It doesn't see acuity like we see in faces and in the mountains and the wildflowers and all this. What our eye is set up to do is something higher resolution, which is also the second, which is cool, is it lasts longer. So an average squid life is, let's say, five years. I looked that on Google. I didn't, I'm not an expert on that one. So the, what's, the problem with the squid eye is it might look great on paper, but all, every time this reaction happens, there's waste. And waste is toxic to the eye. So in a squid eye, it's going to build up in the middle of the vitreous body. And after about, let's say, five years, it can't see anymore because of cloudiness and waste and toxicity. Well, our eye, though it is kind of backwards at first glance, it's directly facing that choroid, and the choroid's constantly taking waste out. So we can use our eye 80, 90, 100 years, um, which is really fascinating. So um, I'll step off the professor's spiel, but most of the vision scientists will look at the human eye and they're not, they actually think it's absurd to say that it's not set up well. That, that's kind of crazy. Um, the science behind the eye definitely would scream out his design. Um, and it gives us also a clue, I think, of his love for us as well. He could have, and I'm thankful he didn't give me a squid eye. He could have given us any visual system. But I think he did want us to enjoy our time here. Um, it's short. But he wanted us to have acuity. He wanted us to be able to see, again, the mountains, the wildflowers. Of course, we live in such a fascinating area. But not only that, we can see people's face. And not only that, the emotion. We can recognize emotion, joy, happiness, the ones we love. And um, I think, just kind of simply put, we have our eye. And the eye is just such an intelligent design, not only proving his creation, but also his love for us. So that's my Thank you. Thank you. You see that? Love God with all your mind. It means you learn. It means you experiment. It means you research. It means you know. It means you innovate. And it draws you closer so that you can worship more. And as I mentioned, America's colleges and universities had their start because Christians felt this was true. Little pop quiz. We're not going to grade you on this. But here, listen to this. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his or her life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. This is a quote from the founding documents of which university? Is it A, Baylor, B, Liberty, C, Harvard, D, Western? Survey says... Harvard. Next question. Ten Christian ministers known as the founders conceived and launched this university to educate and train other Christian ministers. What university is this? Is it A, Wheaton, B, Yale, C, Colorado Mesa, or D, SMU? Do, 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 do. What is Yale? Yes. I'll take intelligent faith for 500, Alex. And the answer is, in the beginning, most universities in the U.S. were established as institutions of faith. 
the colonial colleges such as Harvard, Yale, and Dartmouth, College of William and Mary, Princeton, and Rutgers University were Christian schools in mission or affiliation. That's according to Forbes. You might be surprised to learn that Christians also pioneered higher education for women, the very first college in the world to offer bachelor's degrees to women was Oberlin. It did so in 1837 with the goal of training more people to spread the gospel. Even in medicine, Elizabeth Blackwell, the first woman doctor, was a Christian. Anne Clark, another Christian, was the first woman surgeon and worked at the Women's Hospital and the Children's Hospital in Birmingham. Sophia Jex Blake, another Christian, founded the London School of Medicine for women. So you see, God is not threatened by reason, questions, facts, science, anything. Follow any truth to its natural origin or its destination without prejudice or preconceived conclusion. That is important and it will point to God. Unless you have already decided that there is not a God or if there is, you don't want to know it. And if you start with that presupposition, then truth is not what you're looking for. It's what you're twisting to keep you comfortable in your skepticism. That's why I have respect, although I disagree, with Dr. Thomas Nagel. He's an atheist professor of philosophy and law at New York University, and here's what he wrote. He wrote, I speak from experience, being strongly subject to this fear myself. I want atheism to be true, and I'm made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. At least he's honest. At least he's honest. That unbelief is his default. So I would, I would ask of us, is that true of you? Is unbelief your default? So we're going to close with some practical things that I need you to do. Now, if you're serious about finding intelligent faith, this is something we actually have to do, not just think about, okay? So here we are. Number one, decide to not make unbelief your default. Because what does it say about us if unbelief is our default about the existence of God, our need for a relationship with Jesus? Why is belief not our default? What does that say about our minds and our hearts? Maybe like Nago, it says that we wish there wasn't truly a God, that we wish we could be in control of our own lives. We could chart our own course. We could be our own God. That, in fact, is the very first and original sin. So I'm going to ask you to commit. I'm going to ask you to commit to not make your default unbelief. Will you do that? Number two, commit to being open-minded about God. Commit to being open-minded about God. It's common to hear or to say that faith or believing in Jesus or believing that the Bible is the Word of God makes you closed-minded, which means, I think, 
is closed to the many alternate ways of the world has that relationships and life and existence and love might work rather than the way that God says, I designed it to work. God's word has a very different definition of closed-mindedness. In fact, the Apostle Paul, one of the most brilliant minds of the first or any century, wrote this. With the Lord's authority. Could he say it any more powerfully? With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles or unbelievers do, for they are hopelessly confused. If you need hope before, because you're confused, then, then hang on. Maybe this is you. He goes on. Their minds are full. Their minds are full of what? Who said that? Who said, okay. No, it's darkness, full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives. If you find and you feel that you're wandering through life rather than finding all the life that God has for you, then just hang on. This might be why. Because they have closed their minds. I want you to circle close their minds on your worksheets. That's the definition of closed mind. And harden their hearts. Circle harden their hearts against him. Do you see what happens? See what God is saying? That being closed-minded according to God's word is not believing in him, not because you believe in him, but because you have closed him off from your mind, from yourself. And, and rather than believe in him, you are going to keep the course of going your own way. And something happens between mind and heart. You see that connection again. When this happens to our mind, something happens to our heart. What happens? It becomes hard, which means we get really good at resisting God. Why? Because we have continuously exercised the muscle that pushes him away. And you can reverse that today. Today. If you commit to being open-minded about God, will you do that? Will you do that? Number three, we need to do this. Be humble enough to ask God to change your mind. We have to be humble. When we look for truth, we have to be humbly willing to be wrong, to ask God to change our mind. Why? Because here's what he says. This is what God says. For my thoughts, he says, are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth from here to outer space, that's how different my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That means a lot of the time our minds are made up. But we ain't right. We, do you need proof? Some of you think kale is food. Some of you like country music and thinks Pepsi is a good beverage. It's not. Sometimes we're wrong. When we look for truth, a lot of times we're not humble. We don't want our minds to be changed in fact, we want God to agree with us with the things that we already think are right and true and good. If you have ever thought or ever said, I just can't believe in a God who blank. You ever said that? You ever thought that? 
That means you're looking for a God who agrees with you. And that means we're shopping for a God to try to invent one and find one. Like we shop for a pair of skinny jeans that make us look thinner. That's such a frightening concept. You don't want a God who agrees with me. You don't want a God like that running the universe. That should frighten you. Just like it frightens me to have a God that agrees with you. We should be. We should be. If there is a God, and I posit there definitely is. We should be asking, what do you think so that I can ask you to change my mind, to align my thoughts with yours, not to invent some God that agrees with me because that God doesn't exist. But he doesn't reject us. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you something you may never have heard in church. Number four, this is what we need to do. You need to welcome your doubts and explore them to the core. Welcome them. A lot of times we reject them. You need to welcome them and explore them to the core. Why? Because if you don't, if you don't admit them and bring them to God and entrust them to Him, somebody else will address them and they're not as trustworthy as He is. They will get addressed either by God or by somebody else who may or may not tell you the truth. So you bring it to Him and you make a list and, and you say, even if I'm a believer, I allow doubts. I don't deny them. Why? Because God can handle your doubts and your questions. Don't be afraid that he'll reject honest inquiry. Right? Because he says this, a bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. And he guarantees us this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So why welcome doubts and questions? Because the truth of who Jesus is, who he created you to be, how he loves you, how he came for you, died for you, rose for you, reigns for you, and how he created the world and universe and love and relationships to work is true. And truth can withstand any scrutiny, any question, any doubts. So bring it. But I will tell you to do this. Doubt your doubts as much as you doubt your faith. It's only fair. Doubt your doubts as much as you doubt your faith. And my friend, if you're a skeptic, I love you. And you are so welcome to explore faith here. But if you're a skeptic, here's the challenge. I want you to be honest in your inquiry. So demand as much proof for your unbelief, as much evidence for your unbelief as you do from Christians in Christianity for their beliefs. Doubt your doubts as much as you doubt your beliefs. Examine it, question it, demand proof of your doubts as much as you would Christian belief. And when you do, if you do, I know you're going to be shocked Write down your doubts. We're going to talk about them more as we move through this series. But um, will you commit to explore your doubts? Be honest about it. Okay, okay, last, last one. I'm, I'm going to challenge you to pray this dangerous prayer every day during the series. And I hope we're together every, every week, okay? Here's a the, here's the prayer, dangerous prayer. I want you to pray it. If, you, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus, if you're real, Please reveal yourself to me. 
Because if you're real, if you're real, I want to know you. I'm going to give you the chance to pray it right now in your heart. Jesus, if you're real, please reveal yourself to me because if you're real, I want to know you. You, you say this, and you, and you may feel like you're speaking it out into the universe, or you do it. You do it. It is dangerous, not in the form of threatening your, it is going to threaten your doubts. And with an invitation like that, my God's going to show up. He loves you that much. Intelligent faith. <clears throat> I didn't always have faith, and I've never been accused of being particularly intelligent. It might, um, it might make you think of going into an exam unprepared, like you're going to fail. I know most of you have never experienced that. I have. Right? Can you imagine? You're going into the biggest test of your life. This is like your, your future hangs on the balance, and you know you're going to fail. Not only that, but you're, you're sitting next to the person that always sets the curve. Always sets the curve. Right? Going to ace it. Great. Just a reminder. As the teacher leaves, this woman, it's always a woman, who, who was smart, they would never talk to me, right? Says, hey, you look worried. You think you're going to fail? Yeah, yeah, I do. I think I'm going to get 100. Great. Good luck. She leans over and says, hey, I have an idea. How about you take your test? and I'll take mine. And at the end, you put my name on the top of your test. And I'll put your name on top of mine. That way I can fail in your place. And you can get an A. And as ridiculous as that sounds, that is precisely what Jesus Christ did when he came and took our F in life, our F in love, put it on himself and went to the cross and died for it and gave us his A. That is all for the asking. And yet, some of us, we sit here. We sit here and we say, you've got to give me a reason. You've got to give me a better reason to believe. I need a reason. I need a good reason. Well, maybe it would help to know that God has a reason. I paraphrase one of my earliest and favorite songs. It says, you are the reason that he gave his life. You are the reason that he suffered and died. When you were lost, he gave all he could give to show you the reason to live. He is your reason to live. Think about that. As the worship team comes, I want to encourage you, if you are serious about intelligent faith, finding answers from God and addressing your doubts, this afternoon, you need to go online 
and get and read one of these books this week. The Reason for God by Tim Keller, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. If you, um, if you have questions and doubts specifically about sexual orientation things, Rebecca will address those. Uh, I've read all of these books, Why I Believe by Chip Ingram. If you're serious, get and start reading one of these this week. If money is a problem with you doing this, come talk to us, okay? But if you're serious, you do this. You're going to find intelligent faith. And at the end of the questions, it's going to be the God who says, welcome home. And you can stand on that love with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. You are brilliant and yet loving. Lord, today, we do not want to make unbelief our default. Lord, we commit to being open-minded about you. We humble ourselves and we implore you, please change our minds to your mind. Lord, make us brave enough to bring our questions and our doubts to you. And Lord, help us want you. Help us pray, Jesus, if you are real, please reveal yourself to us, to my friends, because they need and they want to know you. In Jesus' beautiful name, amen. If you need prayer for anything or anything,